Good morning, everybody. Hello. This is Saturday, the 9th of January. And uh, after this last week, are we going to make it till the 11 days from now? I hope so. But I just want to kind of... Hello, Michael. Michael. I can see Michelangelo today. This is the first time we've been able to do this. We're on Zoom, and, and I can actually see he's he's cleaning up his office, I think. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, I, I kind of want to make mention of what's been going on. I just want to tell people to just kind of stay centered and keep your faith and re- and just concentrate on God bef- before you look at that other stuff because that stuff's enough to really traumatize you, I mean, especially the footage that they're, they're broadcasting about the um, riot thing that happened on Wednesday. So um, I just want to tell people, you know, 11 days, and hopefully we'll get through this together. So... Anyway, today on the show, we're going to be talking about Debussy, Claude Debussy, the composer. Uh, with me today is Michelangelo Na, who is my specialist, uh, astrologer slash um, musician. And he does musical analysis, and he takes and puts the astrology up, up against it. And this is very cool, so we kind of like that. So we have on, we're going to be doing Claude Debussy today, and it's going to be interesting because... Um, he had a very interesting life. I just sort of started to research it just before I came in this morning. I have a few notes here that I jotted down, and so I'm going to go through those with him. But he's very much of an authority, and he's actually written stuff. You've written stuff about it, right? Uh, I work. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, because my microphone was flashing for here for a minute. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I've I've worked through about halfway through an essay on him. Um, and uh, very interesting life. I mean, I must be frank and say that my enthusiasm for Debussy has more to do with his orchestral music than his vocal music. But uh, okay. I, I did study some of his vocal scores when I was, you know, in school. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. But no, he's he is clearly my 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 uh, um, uh, perspective title for my essay is musical anarchist because oh. Debussy basically, you know, took everything that came before gave it his very careful consideration and chucked it out the window. Really? So that's very interesting. And it's not surprising for a double Leo with Regulus. Um, Look where Uranus is next to the sun. South Node. He's done that a few times before. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, so wow. Okay. So anyway, we're going to be doing the Astral Celebrity of the Week, and we're going to have you on with me because we're doing him as a Celebrity of the Week. And so, sure. and he's going to be with us for the rest of the hour talking about Mr. Debussy. He was a handsome guy. He really was. You can yeah. see that Leo rising with that hair, for sure. Yeah. But you know, the hair, interesting. <laughs> he had two protuberances on his uh, uh Oh, did he now? Brow. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, now, if I were talking about it from a traditional astrological physiognomical viewpoint, I would say that they were the butting bumps of Aries. But he wasn't Aries rising, although he did have a very dignified mars and aries which trines the ascendant yeah and so maybe that, yeah so he actually grew that hair i think to uh to cover up those bumps on his forehead but no he was considered very exotic looking and desirable and of course he had a terrible uh a tendency to be a womanizer and we'll talk more about i figured that as much yeah 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 i yeah. think a leo man it doesn't necessarily mean always but you know they're out to prowl they yeah. really are so Anyway, so Eddie, we're gonna we're gonna be continuing with that here in just a second, and um, I just want we want to talk about WC most of the hour today, and we're gonna be playing some music of his too, 
So you'll be able to hear two different uh, excerpts of a suite. One is Claire de Lune. That's a piece I actually know how to play on the piano. Hard to believe. And yeah, then, that was the extent of my own, uh, <laughs> not, not quite, but the extent of my own uh, major explorations of piano literature. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't, and the prelude of the afternoon of the fawn is another beautiful piece, too. So those are the two pieces I could remember at the top of my head that, that I enjoyed. So anyway, yeah. we're going to do all that, and we're going to do a lot more, too. So... We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to do Astro Celebrity of the Week, which, of course, is Claude Debussy, and I'm going to be doing it with Michelangelo. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Uh, that's, you know, that's the type of song where I'm just going to sit there and just tune out. You know, it's, it's so calming and sweet. So what is Claire, de, it's obviously the moon, but what does the Claire de mean? That part of it. It literally means the light, light of the moon. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, in, in Italian, of course, it would be chiaro. Okay. Luna. So it's the light, the, the radiance of the yeah. moon, which, which is, you know, of course, Eileen is, is reflected by. That's right. Uh, yeah. You know, astrological uh, colleagues. You know, there's one thing I noticed in this chart today. I always kind of leave my chart viewing into the last minute because I like to get my the first things off that I see. Sure. Yeah. Four planets in, in their own sign. I noticed it's the same thing. And you know, the only other person I've really seen. I mean, I haven't written like thousands of essays, even hundreds, but I mean, I've written a few at this point and, and delved into people's charts. But the only other person I've seen with similar kind of dignified planets was Prince. Oh, he had three, three planets in the yeah. worship. Yeah, he's got four. four is extremely yeah. unusual. Very rare. And I, I kind of noticed it because I said Sun and Leo, Moon and Cancer. Yeah. Ooh, there's a theme there. Oh, Mercury and Virgo. Oh, Mars and Aries. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, to me, obviously, when you have uh, planets in their own natural sign, they're free to do exactly what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And they are free to express themselves exactly the way they're supposed to, without really yeah. any encumbrances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. It's very interesting. And, uh, as, and the, the thing that I often look for with genius, and I think there's no question that Debussy in his own idiosyncratic fashion was a genius, would be planets that are extreme in declination, but we don't oh, find right, that. Oh, right, right. You know, we don't find that. Uh, but, we, but we do find, as I mentioned before, we do find the sun and the ascendant with Regulus. You know, okay. And of course, that's the, that's the king star, you know, the most powerful of the four royal stars of Persia. Okay, so and, that's uh, declination. That's not out of bounds, though, right? No, no, that's just the fixed star with Regulus. Oh, okay, yeah. right, all right. Yeah, and um, but Regulus, as I said, I... I first got interested in, in in fixed stars in this way because a colleague of ours, I don't know if you knew who knew who he, who he was, David Roll. Did you ever come across no, David Roll? No. Uh -uh. uh, he ran the Astrology Center of America, and he was really quite a brilliant astrologer. And uh, he 
he was talking about the birth of the young prince in the UK a few years ago. And he said, well, he said, if the son reaches Regulus at the time of his birth, he will be king. And I thought, wow. So I got really fascinated by fixed stars. And and I time and again, you know, when you see uh, um, uh, particularly the luminaries with Regulus, you know, there's these are people that are tremendously um, destined for one of a better term, you know, to achieve what they intend to achieve. Right. I mean, I don't I don't want to bring in unfortunate political resonances, but a certain person occupying the White House has Mars with Regulus. I, I was going to say that, but you said it for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, sun yeah. with Regulus and ascended with Regulus, double Leo. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This guy wasn't going to be stopped. No. And And from the very beginning, you know, he's extremely clear on what he wants to do. Really? You know, he, he looks at the um, the traditional harmonic uh, language of classical music and rejects it for all intents right. and purposes. And the thing is, they labeled him as an impressionist, which I found interesting, yeah. which he yeah. absolutely was, hated that. Yeah, he didn't like that name. I mean, <laughs> I'm, uh, but you could see why, because he did, you know, derive noticeable uh, inspiration from paintings for example as right. another impressionist yeah. and of course the whole impressionist school of painting um uh and uh very very taken with the works of symbolists like uh, Mallarmé who was his, who's uh, I think his play uh, he based his opera Pelias et Melisande on you know mm-hmm. so there is some justification for it but as I say I think Debussy was of the type of person who would not have cheerfully wanted to be labeled anything he just right. was sui generis as we would say right i mean you, you look type. at that uranus south node yeah uh, that's definitely a a key or a clue as to not being labeled anything yeah because once he gets labeled that means he's stuck in that that whole slot you know yeah and, and, and it, he comes it, in that way right <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know, very interesting but of course the other thing to me that is that relates to is the more or less stationary Pluto right at the midheaven. Oh, yeah, Pluto stationary. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I didn't mean, look that not, up, it, but oh, it's interesting. Yeah. When did it go? Um, was it uh, sta- just, a few, just a few days before? I think, oh, okay, before. so that would definitely be an impact because Pluto go, yeah. takes forever to stay yeah, in station. So, that stationary Pluto says a lot about the whole idea of him being an anarchist from a musical perspective, as you know, well, he didn't really blow things up, that wasn't his thing, but he, uh, the, the Neptunian influence i think is extremely strong right i don't know if you noticed but neptune aspects both mercury and venus and to me those are the you know through gemini and taurus those are the two throat chakra that's uh, the that's the channel it went through yeah right and significantly neither one of those planets aspects saturn so Uh see the whole idea of him being constrained by conditions of tradition and form established uh established forms What's the last guy we talked about? Holst had that that issue, being restrained. He had Saturn on his ascendant or something? Yeah, he had the whole Saturn-Uranus duality, Holst. Okay. Right. So Holst did very much try to be a traditionalist for a while, but it just didn't work for him. Well, he does have Uranus-Saturn square, so it means he's coming up against it and breaking through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, with Uranus, but not with uh, not with uh, Mercury or Venus. Which okay, is, yeah. So those were those guys were not involved. So he could freely create. Yeah. Without yeah. having any encumbrances hanging on him. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. 
So yeah. I, I yeah. know that Uranus, I talk to people who have Uranus south node conjunction, and there's a bunch of us around here that do that, mm-hmm. you know, but it seems as though they, I ask them, do you feel like an alien in your skin? Yeah, I do. I don't even feel yeah. like I relate to my family or anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of an indigenous feeling of being popped out of an egg, you know, like yeah. Mork, you know, yeah. and, you know, and it's somehow they don't identify with anything that their their surroundings or anything because it seems yeah. alien to them. Yeah. 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 And I think we could I think we could definitely see that with the young Debbie C. First of all, what I found really interesting and, and, and I obviously have spend more time with this chart than you have yeah as a matter of fact you know what we're going to do we're going to take a break right now we got to take a break so when we come back we'll we'll continue on that vein okay so of course we're going to be right back here with michelangelo and this is the jupiter rising show right here on kknw alternative talk radio This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga, we cover the world of animals. This week, January 10th, it's Best, Neuroenergetic Rebalancing, Rasmussen Reset, and Emotional Code Sunday. Nels and Linda Rasmussen will be there to take your phone calls and do remote treatments for you or your animal friends. Plus, we'll address the recent passing of a family member. Bring your tissues along. For Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Wow. That's, um, you know, you have to be a really good flute player to play that first part. Because, man, you're just standing there out there all by yourself. That's just, yeah, yeah it's gorgeous. It reminds me. Yeah, of a very famous uh, uh, flute piece. What's that? Oh, his sound is gone. We lost your sound there, Michelangelo. Did your microphone or something cut out on your end? Are you muted? Uh oh. Oh, sounds Oops. like he might be back here. Oops, no. Oh, now I hear something, Michelangelo. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there you are. Okay. Thank God. Okay. Yeah, sorry, Mike. My, my big blue yeti is being a little uh, persnickety today. I'm not oh. sure why. Oh well, that's a good brand. Anyway, so um, what yeah. were, what did you say before you kind of went blank? <laughs> oh, I was going to say there's a very famous solo flute piece of Debussy's called Sirinx, which is the larynx of birds. And oh. uh, my, my partner, Elizabeth, is a very fine uh, flutist, and she played it in her when she was, you know, uh, working as an orchestra musician. So Debussy really had an intrinsic um, connection with the flute. And again, he was very... Um, uh, he really saw that music and felt that music should take its inspiration from nature. And that's one of the, yeah. again, the many reasons that he chafed against the restrictions of, of traditional harmonic structures was his idea that music should just express things that were part of the natural world. That's right. Yes. I, I was reading something that he said about sitting on the shore, watching the sun going down over the ocean. And it was yeah. beautifully yeah. beautiful very poetic yeah he said it it's it's so i can't even remember what he said it was just so amazingly experiential something that he loved dearly and that it was an inspiration for him so that is yeah i've got a quote here he says i'm sorry oh go ahead he said i love i love music passionately Mm -hmm. and because i love it i try to free it from barren traditions that stifle it 
It should be a free art gushing forth, an open air art, boundless as the elements, the wind, the sky, the sea. It should never be shut in and become an academic art. So see, he really was very uh, fortunate. You know, the interesting uh, thing I keep finding, because the first time I heard him, at least I played it years ago, but I didn't identify it then with astrology because I didn't know what astrology was then. But now when I hear it, I just hear all Neptune in his music. It's just very Neptunian. And I'm looking at his chart, and there's not very much aspected by Neptune in his chart, you know, except he doesn't have the important ones like Venus and Mercury, the connections there. But uh, Well, those are his two... um, Those are his two artistic planets for want of a better term that's right yeah so so and i think this really is this is what he did you know i said when i described him as a musical anarchist um is that he wasn't the uranus kind of blow things up anarchist right he was the dissolve everything (laughs) into its elements anarchist and so that is very much let's get some corrosive stuff to melt it all away Yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah, that... you know, and um, and of course, you know, in in a lot of his piano works, for example, you have these great washes of of sound. You know, these flowing arpeggios. Uh, you know, lots of water imagery, and but these arpeggios really have no tonal anchor whatsoever. They are mm-hmm. just simply series of, of sonorities. Okay, and uh, you know, they don't utilize the recognizable. Um, logic if you will of of harmony prior to that point right. so he really you know he really just threw out the whole rule book and said nope i'm going to write what i feel i'm going to write what i think that's right music yeah. to be and uh it, it isn't surprising really when you when you look at his chart no that he would be so um unconcerned with mm. what other people thought and what that's true what that's other people true. expected yeah it's just and, like, and Pluto at the, the midheaven let's face it this yeah is exactly you know Pluto in the midheaven, that's stuff that can break through a lot of layers of, of society. You know, that yeah. his work can change people, obviously. But also the Uranus South Node. I keep coming back to that because it's in his oh, house yeah. of career, too. You know, yeah. so he, you know, he chose a different route than everybody yeah. else did. Yeah. And um, it's, it's kind of like. I was looking at his biography, his background. It seems like his background was real typical, you know, of a musician in training type of thing. Yeah. But, um, it, you know. Well, he certainly, his promise was certainly recognized at a fairly early age. Yes, I mean, that's he was true. Admitted to the, the most prestigious uh, institute of music in, in, in France at the time, the Conservatoire de Musique in, in Paris at the age of 10. Right. I wrote and then that. he stayed there till he was 21. Yeah. And, um, and they, they they really felt that he had all the potential to be a great concert pianist. He could sight read anything. He won a prize very early on for his performance of the first movement of the Chopin Second Piano Concerto. But it wasn't really where he was going. You know, no. piano was his way of, you know, beginning to articulate his more complete musical vision. Right. I think. Yeah. The other thing I find interesting about Debussy is his chart. To me, is almost a textbook example of of the efficacy of using solar arcs in in prediction okay you know that that uh, certain solar arc movements definitely coincide with with significant developments in his life uh okay. for example uh, uh let's see what's it here uh 
solar arc moon to solar arc Venus more or less corresponds with his, you know, acceptance into the conservatory. And when solar arc moon hits the ascendant, he has a prelude to the afternoon of fawn oh, is composed and, okay. and premiered. And that really was his first, he, start, he didn't really flounder around, but unlike a lot of people who become famous, it didn't happen before his Saturn return. He was a, a much later developer. And I think we can see in this, in the fact that Venus, which we could certainly argue is the sigil of his identity as an artist, is in that 12th house, right? Right, it's right. Buried right. in that 12th house. And of course, it's peregrine in, in Leo, so it's it's not in a sign of its own um, innate nature. But when that, when that solar arc Venus hits the ascendant, that's when he begins to emerge into the world as a composer, but it really isn't until 40, when he's in the throes of his Uranus opposition, that he hits worldwide fame when Pelias and Melisande right. is premiered yes. in 1903. So, or, you know, shortly thereafter. So, I mean, um, it, it's very, very interesting just to look at him in this regard. Yes, I, I would think so. And I kind of like to look at what planet would affect him the most when it's transiting, sure. you yeah. know, and it seems to me it's Uranus. You yeah, know. I would agree. For example, when when um, Prelude to the Afternoon of Fawn is premiered, even though it's, um, you know, well-received and it, it clearly is his first decisive step onto the, the stage of worldwide renown, there's not a whole lot going on transit-wise, except Saturn is approaching the IC. And... Uh, that's for often a very significant transit. But most assuredly, when Pelias is premiered, he's, his Uranus opposition is exact. I didn't look to see which pass it was or, or how long it had been going on. But yeah. Uranus is directly opposite Uranus when Pelias is wow. premiered. So to me, and it more or less has just entered the fifth house. Okay. So to me, that's also very significant. Yeah, very significant. It taps into his creativity at that point. So. Yeah. That and makes- in the same year, solar arc moon hits solar arc sun. So from the standpoint of mundane astrology, as I know, you know, Eileen, the moon is the public. Yes, it is. Right? So the moon finally arrives at his guiding principle, you know, his solar light. And that's when he begins to become famous. Yes. And, wow. you know, Very- the other thing is moon being in its own sign of cancer. Um, yeah. It's like he had to tap into what the emotions were all about for him. So he oh, could yeah. convey that obviously you know and and the other thing i was noticing in his chart he has a saturn jupiter conjunction why that it's conjunct and i keep thinking about the saturn jupiter conjunction that's happening right now you know and and why we're talking about him you know and and we're doing it on a radio show which is jupiter okay so you know and what can we learn from him you know and uh you know he he was blessed to be a double leo I think, yeah. you know, he, he wasn't afraid to stand out in front of people and perform. No. But um, there it seems as though the timing of his evolutionary events that propelled him into the next level of his, his evolution really yeah. happened at certain transits. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I say and certain solar arcs for progressions yeah. for sure. Interesting thing about him being a Leo is I don't I don't know if you've if read uh, Liz Green's book on the astrology of fate, but she said that everybody thinks that Leos are you know the the stereotypical um, flamboyant performer artists you know right. they're always going to be famous but she says in her opinion that Leos usually are not you know that the whole idea of Leo becoming 
you know, more, more completely itself is that they, they arrive at, at an understanding of who they are. That, for example, many, many more fin famous people in the first decan of Aquarius, we have Mozart there, we have uh, lots of other individual geniuses in that first decan. Leo, not so much, but, you know, we can certainly point to people like, for example, Madonna, you know, or yeah. I mean, who right. become famous. But, um, but Debussy, I think, is, is consistent with that in that he had to really establish for himself who he was yes. before the, the fame would then accrue to him. You know, and he did it in a very decisive and uncompromising way. He never really I agree. looked. Yeah, at, and as yeah. soon as he reached reached that point, sort of the inner light turned on. You yeah, know, so yeah. the the shine the shine the sun shined upon him. You mm -hmm. know, and because that's his ruling planet of his sun sign, it would be a very important thing to look at. You know. Yeah. No yeah. question. So, yeah, it's um, his. It's interesting because. Oh, I just noticed something here. He yeah. Um, he's got Uranus South Node. I think it very close. It was North Node and Sag, kind of close to what Trump has in his chart. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't get away from talking about him, I see. But there's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. always something yeah. that connects to him. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if he has any connection or likes wc's music i sort of doubt it but no i, I don't i don't believe so probably. yeah so anyway yeah. a bit of an artistic philistine i think yeah right now, as are many politicians regrettably in, in this yes. country okay so we need to take another break really quick we get when sure. we get back we're going to talk some more about mr wc okay this is the jupiter rising show right here on kknw alternative talk radio And this is a live read for the Barrel Full of Monkeys Productions with Matt Shea. Matt Shea, who is one of our advertisers, has started a new venture. It's called the Barrel Full of Monkeys Productions, which will actually be a collection of Matt's writings in mini audiobook form. Our first audiobook is out now. We just recorded. There's four of us that doing this. And um, I'm reading, and then there's three other people that are doing it. Matt's reading book, too. So um, the first book is out right now. It's only $5, and you can order it at mattsheabooks.net. And so we just got our second book finished last weekend, and it will be out soon, too. So I will let you know when you can go get his book. It's only 5 bucks, so it's really nice. So, But in the meantime, Matt would love to hear from you and promises to answer any or all of the contact him. You can write to him at his personal email address at workinmatt 7 W-O-R-K-N-M-A-T-T-7 at AOL.com. And don't forget his website, www.MattSheaBooks.net. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome back Hank Garrett of Car 54, Where Are You? with more stories from his autobiography, From Harlem to Hollywood. On Saturday, Jody Levon, the happy medium, returns with her spiritual insights and exceptional mediumship ability. And yes, she will be taking calls for messages. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. That is so cool. That's the one part of the piece I could never play. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was complicated. 
Mickey? Yeah, had... it's complicated. <laughs> I think he had two two meters going at, on at the same time, it sounded like to me. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. Learning how to play cross rhythms, that's a major challenge as a pianist. Uh, yeah. That that's, was, yeah, I got to that point in the piece and said, that's it, I'm done. So anyway, <laughs> but I was only like about 13 years old, so I didn't really know what I was doing, but I liked playing it. It was really cool. So anyway. Yeah, I had another quote here I wanted to share if that's Oh, okay. please do. Uh, Debussy wrote this to his publisher, uh, Durand. I don't, I'm not sure what year, but he wrote, music in its essence is not a thing that can be poured into a rigorous and traditional mold. It is made of colors and rhythmic beats. All the rest is fraud invented by cold-blooded imbeciles riding on the backs of the masters. Right. And this is something that I think a lot of uh, composers could agree with. Uh, music theory mm-hmm. is really the extrapolation of, of certain uh, principles yes. uh, that is accomplished by people who aren't musicians themselves. Right? Mm-hmm. They, they look at a piece and they say, oh, well, this composer did this and we can, we can attribute this to that. But musicians write what they feel. And Debussy, I think perhaps more than any other, at least prior to the early 20th century, was one man who clearly was not to be fettered by such considerations. Right. And, uh, now we, of course, live in an era where, where people can write what they want, you know, mm-hmm. in, in all genres, really. Nobody's right. constrained by other people's perceptions of what they should and shouldn't do. But mm-hmm. this was quite revolutionary thinking at the time. And what I find fascinating about Debussy is that he came to grips with Wagner in the way that every composer that was alive at that time had to deal with Wagner. After yeah, he was after, larger than life, literally. Yeah. yeah. Because Wagner took tonality and stretched it to its ultimate limits. Mm-hmm. And they, they all had to say, okay, well, how do we deal with that? A, a number of them chose, as did Schoenberg and Berg, you know, to, to move into atonal music. Um, <clears throat> Richard Strauss, <clears throat> sorry, Richard Strauss looked into the abyss of, of atonality himself and said, can't go there. No, uh-uh. you know, you know, after after he wrote Electra in 1909, he said, that's as far as I can go. Debussy yeah. just said, Wagner is a beautiful sunset, he said, but I am the sunrise of a new era. And I think he was absolutely right. Because wow. his innovations have informed, you know, virtually all genres of music, obviously classical music, but also jazz. Yes. You know, I, I think much of modern jazz would not have been possible without Debussy's innovations from a harmonic perspective. Bill Evans, certainly. Um, I just had this written down here that he yeah. loved Bill Evans' music. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Obviously, he, his scope of the music that he liked was really wide, you yeah. know, and uh, Bill Evans' pretty strong jazz there, you know. Oh, yeah. and, and, and again, very revolutionary what, what Bill Evans brought to jazz. Jazz, to my way of thinking, I mean, I'm kind of a frustrated jazz pianist myself, has in a, in a very short time of its history incorporated all of the major harmonic innovations of classical music right you know, moving evolving from f- a fairly primitive form you know the yes. blues not without its obviously it's very uh, powerful expressiveness but but very uh, primitive from a harmonic perspective and Definitely. into these very sophisticated um, harmonic expressions you know so. I, I went you know I went to college and I I was in the music department of course got a degree in music. <clears throat> But yep. there was a big jazz department there. Yep. And I hung around a lot of jazz musicians, a lot of them, and of being yep. able to see it through their eyes. It was, um, it's like taking classical music and just like turning it a quarter tone, tone or turn, mm-hmm. 
and to take that perspective on the music that you're playing, you know, classical music. The thing yeah. is, was to break out of the classical music. You know, let's do something completely different. You know, yeah. and um, but they well, were always, I, always challenging. You know, the structure of the music. Even when I, I would sit in on the jazz band's uh, rehearsals, which I did a lot because I had a boyfriend in the band. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. It was kind of cool because they were always testing something, testing a boundary, you know, yeah. of of what they were playing. And I know Greg, my ex boyfriend, he was the he was the lead saxophonist in the saxophone oh, yeah. section, and he could even play. He was amazing. And you know, and when you get up to improvise, that's definitely a way to break out of the old. The further you get away from the structure, the better. You sure. know, when you're you're improvising. Absolutely. And, you know, most musical traditions do incorporate some improvisatory component. Right. Classical music, a little less. But if you go back, for example, to the, uh, you know, the early part of the Romantic era, you know, a, a pianist would be expected when they got to a certain point in, in the concerto to improvise their own cadenza. You yes. Know, they, would not, right. they would not have to re have recourse to something that was written down. But but jazz certainly, as I said, really stretches the, the bounds yes. of any composition that it comes into contact with. And I think that's wonderful because a remarkably sophisticated um, level of musical understanding is required in order to be able to improvise. Oh, in yeah. That, you have to know it inside out and backwards. Yeah. People yeah. like Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and yeah. uh, say pianists like Bill Evans. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very different type. And, you know, most classical musicians, particularly pianists, for example, can't improvise. You know, they no, are constrained by the what's on the page. Many of them can't even sight read, you know. They have well, to... you know, I think about the, the, some of the people that I enjoy. One of my favorite musicians is Bruce Hornsby because oh, he Hornsby. started off in a classical music, you know. He has a bachelor or master's degree in music, you know, yeah. and he had to go through all the classical training first, obviously. Mm -hmm. to, to sure. Basically, that's where the fundamentals are, where you learn your, your craft. And then once he got out of that, it was like he took off and went to the ceiling, you know, and yeah. and broke all of those norms, you know. Yeah. He yeah. has a Mars in the sixth house in Aquarius. It's no wonder. Uh -huh. So um, he's always, always threatening to break the last boundary and jump over it. Always. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the that's probably the norm of his thinking. And that's what his fans love about him, that he does yeah. that. He's oh, yeah. way far away from where he was 20 years ago, way far away, you know, and um, I like this stuff from the beginning. But as he gets further into it, he gets really gets quite, quite avant garde and quite abstract. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very interesting. So, yeah, you know, music is such an interesting thing and it's such a it it touches people in so many different ways. I mean, um I know what I like and what I personally, I vibrate to, or something that mm -hmm. just hits all the buttons in me. It lights up my board. That's yeah. what I call it. Boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom. And you're, you transport it out of your body. That's sure. what I look for. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, but when many philosophers down through the centuries have said, music is really our, our closest experience of divinity here yeah. in physical form. And, yeah. you know, you can certainly see it in, in the great masterworks of, of the classical tradition, um, as well as obviously inspired, you know, uh, proponents in, in popular music areas yeah. as well. 
know, it um, totally is, you know, and the further we get away from the classical period and Baroque period before that, you know, the further out we get, the, the faster we're getting out towards very bizarre stuff, you know, comparatively speaking to the earlier influences, oh, yeah. um, you know, and it's like <clears throat> each generation or each um, segment, <clears throat> and first the Baroque and then you have the classical and then you after that you have the um, Romantic period. Yeah. And then after that is the 20th century period, you know, and each of those have certain qualities about the music that are that are being composed. So at least, you know, ahead of time when you're going to listen to somebody who comes from a specific point, uh, what kind of music or the type of music you'll be listening to. So, Absolutely. yeah. So, yeah, it's um, it's an amazing thing, you know, and I kind of look at I'm looking at his back at his chart again here. Sure. Yeah. I'm looking at his Jupiter Neptune opposition. Yeah. yeah, and um, I think that is just fabulous to have that as- aspect, especially when you're doing something creative. Yeah, you know? I mean, how, how would you categorize that? Uh, how would I categorize it? Yeah, what, what what would you say about Jupiter and Neptune? Just it elevates the spiritual. Um, I mean, to the point where you see, the, you look off at the end of the road to see where you're going, and it just goes on for infinity. You know, because mm-hmm. I have that aspect, Jupiter-Neptune opposition. Ah. That's mm-hmm. why I noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I have it on my, um, where do I have it? That's my third to my ninth house. So, mm-hmm. um, Well, you can't get much more metaphysical and inspired Not really. I don't think <laughs> so. Well, actually, from fourth to fourth, I have the Neptune on the fourth house cusp and goes up to the ninth house, um, Jupiter on my ninth house cusp. Um, so it's actually on my midheaven, which I didn't buy. I didn't pay for it. People won't ask me about that. How much did you yeah. pay for your Jupiter? I said nothing. I just got it. That's where my partner has hers. <laughs> it's mine stuck in Virgo in the seventh house, intercepted. And so you your partner it? has it. Yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I always kind of analyze, you know, what the flipping between those two opposites is interesting yeah. because yeah. if I sit in my Neptune for a while, there's something happens that propels me up to my Jupiter, you know, yeah. something that I find that's it's close to my essence, you know, that type of thing, you know, because yeah. on the other side of that, I have Saturn, I have a Saturn-Neptune conjunction straddling oh, the fourth you got house. a similar dynamic then, don't you? I was going to comment on the idea that here we have this Jupiter-Neptune opposition with Debussy, but he still has Jupiter conjunct Saturn. So to me, that's sort of suggesting to us that he can he can uh, channel the inchoate. Right. right. He can bring exactly. it forth, but then he has the the sheer ability to to bring it into a form that we exactly. can exactly. appreciate. Yeah, yeah, you have. And the thing is, as soon as it gains the form, then then basically Jupiter opens up the world for you to debut it. You know, yeah. but yeah. until then, you know, you have to work hard on it. You know, yeah. it means work. It needs work. So very cool stuff, you know. Yeah, another yeah. peculiar thing about Debussy, of course, is he didn't write a whole lot of music. So no, he didn't. He was, able, he was able to make such a huge impact with comparatively few works compared to... And I wrote know. something down here for a second. He only yeah, spent sure. 30 years composing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a Saturn thing there, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, of... later in life, of course, he developed. He, I, I think I mentioned this to you in, in my email. He was a recipient in one of the very first 
colostomy operations. And of course, he eventually died from oh. rectal cancer. Um, oh. You know, uh, but he uh, he definitely lived the life of a libertine as far as women were concerned. And I think that's, that's you know, I was going to look at his chart and go, OK, where is that here? Well, it could be just about anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the stationary Pluto to me, you know, has a lot. To oh, do with that. sure, that's true. That that, <laughs> that would be the one, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Any you know, any time a planet is stationary, it kind of pulls all the energy away from the chart and focuses it in through that one planet. You know, yeah. it's it's a real a branding iron effect on the on the yeah. chart. So and to me, Neptune in the eighth very much uh also has a lot to do with with that uh yes sort correct. of like neptune and scorpio which again to bring prince into the picture prince had neptune and scorpio so yeah sex really becomes a metaphysical experience for yes people it does like that. yeah you know. i mean it's yeah neptune it's, it's the fantasy aspect of life yeah and i'm not gonna oh i gotta take a break here again i'm okay, not gonna sure. go into all the things that was going through my brain about that so anyway Okay, so we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back here with Mr. Michelangelo Na talking about Mr. Claude Debussy. So this is Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom of the Medicare Exchange. Medicare coverage is a very important and confusing issue as we near our retirement, largely because Medicare does not cover 100% of your medical costs, only about 80%. That means we will need affordable supplemental coverage that takes care of that 20%. Susan Bergstrom can help get the best coverage for you. And with her, the process is really easy. And in the end, she's going to save you some money. So contact Susan today to set up your appointment. She will get you completely set up with a brand new medical plan. So if you need more information, call Susan at 253-318-9379 or email her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Well... That's beautiful. I haven't actually heard that whole piece, but that's really beautiful. Well, I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I fell asleep listening to that piece when I was younger. <laughs> uh, just, uh, you know, his style reminds me, his music reminds me a little bit of Holst's music. Oh, yeah. No, Holst had very much a, a similar kind. I mean, again, probably a certain number of Holst's um, innovations wouldn't have been possible without Debussy. Yeah. You know, and they were lived been... at the same time, so yeah. Yeah. they would have probably known about each other. Oh, I think they, they certainly probably would have. Yeah, I mean, uh, Planets debuted in, what was it, 19, uh, 1919? So GBC was very much alive. And yeah. um, I'm sure Holst had to have been aware of, you know, things like Prelude to the Afternoon Fawn. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. uh, and of course, Pelias. Uh, Pelias, as Pelias is such an interesting um, opera. I mean, I can't profess to an encyclopedic knowledge of it, uh, but I've, I've studied a bit of it when I was younger. And Puccini, I'm uh, sorry, Puccini, uh, Debussy rejected Wagner, you know, uh, and went his own way. But to me, in many ways, Pelias is very much like a Wagnerian opera. Uh, okay. So there's a there's a very peculiar aspect to that. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, both of them in different ways. As I said, Wagner sort of stretches tonality to its very limits. Debussy throws out tonality entirely, but, but without necessarily verging into a tonality in the same way that Schoenberg and his colleagues did. But they... 
both had this similar artistic vision in a, in a peculiar way. And, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was also thinking about the Jupiter Neptune again, that, yeah. um, that Neptune sort of takes the lid off of Jupiter, you know, it kind of expands everything outwards. And yeah. so it yeah. can be a very strong emphasis on spirituality and developing that. But obviously <clears throat> since Neptune is runs on the same circuit, a spirituality yeah. um it um it means that anytime he he plays or does a piece he would have to probably reel it in you know to make mm-hmm. sure that it isn't out of control saturn's sitting next to it so it would probably do that but yeah. you know otherwise it would just be you know it'd be like a beat well it's sort of like a whole planets you know like yeah. one of the big pieces like jupiter you know, it'd be just big and bombastic and all that good stuff. But, you know, sometimes you need to temper it with a little sensitivity. So yeah. it seems like that would be um, something he'd have to work at, you know, rather than making things just too grandiose, like about a 50,000 yeah. member orchestra, you know. Yeah. You know, clearly. And as I said, the, the idea that he could, um... again, here's another little quote that might you might find interesting. Uh a, a colleague of his transcribed a conversation between him and his compo- his composition teacher, Ernst Schwirol. And um, they said, Debussy just plays a series of intervals on the piano. And Schwirol says, what's that? Debussy replies, incomplete chords floating. <laughs> one can travel where one wishes and leave by any door. Greater nuances. To which Schwirol responds, I'm not saying what you do isn't beautiful, but it's theoretically absurd. Debussy says, there is no theory. You merely have to listen. Pleasure is the law. Yes. <laughs> That's very existential of him. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know. it seems as though because he was he he was living around the time of that kind of development anyway in consciousness. You know, yeah. existential and you know, and and especially the stuff that grew out of that time was just it there everything was changing you know the the viewpoint was to find something different when you look at it you know yeah. not just the same words we're going to find something really um existential that's the best word i can think of right now but mm-hmm. um it, it really has a lot to do his being a poet he's, he basically he was a poet first you know mm-hmm. the way he he told musical poetry obviously mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah, I mean, it's it'd be very interesting to to be able to go into the wayback machine and and see some of these people as as you know children and youths and see what sort of musical thoughts right. emerged when they were right. unfettered. As I said, most people. One of the challenges you face, of course, as any kind of artist, but particularly I think a composer, is if you study with somebody else, right? They are going to try to force you into the mold of their mm-hmm. own yeah. artistic conceptions. And then the challenge is not to get trapped there and never have anything original to say for yourself. Right. So um, Debussy was able to to uh, to do that, you know. And again, I think the, the double Leo with Regulus wouldn't have really had a problem. Plus, you know, the stationary Pluto. But you know, the idea that he could so very successfully, you know, uh, establish this unique vision for himself and never really deviate from it and the fame eventually arrived when it should have, you know. And yes, appropriately and it was not, the, not, uh, not right at the Saturn return either, was it? Not the Saturn return, not even the upper Saturn square, but the Uranus, up, up the throes of the Uranus opposition, which is very yeah. interesting. 
That, that of course, would... Holst too was also having his Uranus opposition when he wrote the planets. Remember, as we as we of course that's true. Yeah, yeah. So um, makes you wonder. Whole... Go ahead. Makes you wonder which planet really rules music. Yeah, you know, because Uranus definitely rules music that is meant to break out. Yeah, but music in general, you know, is Neptune. So yeah, it's it's. Neptune, Venus, little Mercury thrown in, yeah. But, yeah, uh, that too. Know. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I have a, I, you know, I got a degree in music years ago, and I have a a Venus Neptune trine. You ah, know. lucky you. Yes, and <laughs> you know, and both you my all this, you got all this good stuff, Jupiter. <laughs> Neptune, yeah, wow. it, it's pretty artistic. And I mean, when you look at my chart just <laughs> at a glance, it's it was like I hope you're not working in a normal job. I'll be working something artistic. And I said, yeah, it's pretty much done that my whole life, you know, because um, before I did this, I used to do image consulting for people. I composed, oh, okay. you, composed their clothing on them, you know, and that was kind of fun. That yeah, was I just fun. have Venus in the fifth. but uh, Well, you know, that's good, too. That's like having oh, Venus yeah. and Leo. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's yeah. creative. For oh, sure. yeah, no question. That's what I do all the time. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But you have that wonderful Mercury in Virgo. Absolutely. <laughs> Means you can analyze did, everything. As did WC. That's right. First time yeah. I talked to you, you've got to have a Mercury in Virgo. You just have to, <laughs> you know, and you did, you know, yeah. you know, even though you're a Leo, that, that does help your ability to discern what you're writing and, 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 oh, yeah. and yeah. really get, yeah. get down to the, the little grit of things. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, again, in my own observations of, of, of composers and authors, you know, it, usually um, they almost always have a plethora of air in their charts. And mm -hmm. WC has, you know, has right. obviously furnace. I only have a singleton in air, you know, and it's Neptune, oh. which means that I've had to really also, I think, work very hard to to bring my own writing into a into a form that's manageable. And as I think I said to you, it's fairly Baroque, but um, you know, it is what it is. It know, is what um, it is, yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah, and you have the ability to obviously do the astrology too. So it's riding yeah. on two currents or two tracks for you. That's yeah. really well, astrology very much inspires me to write. I don't, I don't, I admire people who can just conjure up whole worlds, you know. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't seem to lack that ability. Uh, and even as a composer, you know, I have to have words mm -hmm. in order to be able to write music. So, yeah. um, it's um, right. That's great. So, Anyway, how much time have we got? We've got three minutes. Okay. So I'll tell you what, we're going to let you go. And okay. um, we have to do our final business here. So okay. thank you again for the, your for your being here. Of course. And it's here. wonderful I'm seeing sorry. you, too. Yes, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, well, I hope we help to illuminate some of the, the mysteries of Claude Debussy. Yes, and we'll have to think about our mm -hmm. next one, probably in about six weeks. All right, I'll, I'll give you some thought. Now, I kind of gave thought to Mozart because... Well, yeah. He, he, uh, I mean... He would definitely be a good good one. He would be definitely a good person. But, yeah. uh, you know, and anyone that you think up, that, that would be okay. good. Okay, so okay. we'll be in touch. All right, my dear. Thank Happy you, Happy New Year once again. Thanks Thank for everything. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Ciao for now. Yep. Okay, all right. So, now, let's see here. Uh, we're going to be doing... Um, the s stuff for the week. We haven't got anything going on this week, darn it. Anyway, um, 
I'm trying to think of things that are coming up. Because we are in a lockdown in this state, uh, we can't go to any restaurants inside. So until that that frees up, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. But let me give out you the information about us. I'll give you Michelangelo's address because it's, it's good. You may want to contact him for a reading. It's Michelangelo, M-I-C-H-E-L-A-N-G-E-L-O dash medicalastrology.us. That's a long one. I'll repeat it. Michelangelo dash, the little, little one between the two letters, medicalastrology.us. Okay. And I am EileenGrimes.com as well as my JupiterRisingShow.com. That's the page. That's the show page and our website there. And also we have Winnie, Winnie's Angels. She'll be on whenever she can. So we're just, we're kind of just hopping along all by ourselves here. So it's not even a problem. So anyway, next week we have on Carl Anderson, the wonderful Bach Flower Remedies Specialist, who's probably going to be talking about um, more. It seems like we have him on to talk about remedies that are going to calm you down. Because given what's going on in the world right now and over the next week and a half, I think it's going to be very important for all of us to remain very, very calm as much as we can. And, you know, and I say this with with good heart and I don't do this that much, but get away from your TV. Stop watching the news. I'm telling myself more than anybody else to do that. So how much should I read down to, you know, give me one minute. Anyway, so I'm, try, I'm trying to tell myself to do that as much as I'm telling you. So anyway, so let's wish the Hawks good luck. Do you pay the Hawks? See! See! Thank you very much, Naven. We're just waiting for the right time to play that. That was just the right time. <laughs> okay, so anyway, we're going to see all of you next week with Carl Anderson. And then the week after that, we have on Michael Seapress, who's a fantastic musician. We're getting a lot of musicians on this month, so it's pretty cool. So you guys take care, and we'll see you right here on KKNW Alternative Talk next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>